What is Mario's favorite clothing? Denim, denim, denim. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Starting Sustainability, episode 67. I'm your host, Kaylin Chenoweth. Last weekend was Valentine's Day weekend, and that's also my husband's birthday. And I told everybody that we are going to be going on a ski trip to celebrate. That was our, that was my sustainable gift to him and for our celebration. Unfortunately, it was a high of nine degrees, so we ended up postponing the ski trip. That will be taking place February 27th, so next weekend at this point. Which was fine and dandy, but then I realized for this weekend, his birthday and Valentine's Day, now I have absolutely nothing to give him or a way to celebrate with him since the ski trip has been postponed. So I racked my brain and I came up with an evening in because it was way too late to get a babysitter or to make reservations going out. So I came up with a nostalgia-themed evening in, and I decided I was going to reach out to all my friends and community and borrow Guitar Hero and Dance Dance Revolution or DDR. And I thought, yeah, that's going to be a really awesome night in. And we're going to do fondue, which I don't have a fondue pot. So again, I borrowed a fondue pot because I always wanted to go to the melting pot. But I heard it's really kind of expensive. And I like the concept of fondue. Anyway, so we did that. <laughs> so I borrowed the fondue pot. I borrowed the guitar. I borrowed the dance games. The only thing we did not have was a console of any kind. We don't own one. We're just not gamers. That's why I thought this would be a really fun evening to do this. I was unsuccessful at being able to borrow a gaming console. So in the end, I was able to find a karaoke machine that we were able to borrow, <laughs> which my husband said no after all that work. So that kind of sinks. <laughs> but he's just not a karaoke guy and that's okay. We ended up sitting on the couch and watching a few episodes of Big Sky instead. And that was Saturday night. And then on Sunday, the actual Valentine's Day, I gave him my homemade card and we made a trip to the candy store that is in our town. So we bought local chocolates for each other and they were delicious. Oh, and our kids got some chocolate too. Don't worry about that. But I do want to share that my experience with fondue was not all that great because I just got some cheese. I didn't know there were special cheeses you're supposed to get. And apparently I got the stringiest, thickest, densest cheese. So every time that we would stick our food item into the cheese in the fondue pot, it basically fell off the fork and stayed in the cheese. <laughs> so then we had to use actual forks instead of the cute little skewers. We had to use actual forks and dip it in. And then every time I'd pull it out, there would be a string of cheese. And I would basically... <laughs> I would basically take a couple of forks and try to do the wraparound system and break it off and I'd get a piece. Then my husband would come in with his food item and wrap it around the cheese and take a bite. And then my son would dip his in and wrap it around with cheese. So we just, it was like a spider web of cheese all over the table by the time we were done eating dinner. But it was fun. We're just never going to do that again. <laughs> the other thing that has been on my list to do for embarrassingly almost a year now, and I finally sat down and did it, was I went to Amazon, to my login account, and I went to the chat box. That's all you have to do. Go to your account, go to the chat box, pull up a representative, and, and then let them know when they ask, like, how can we help you? You say, I want you to put a note on my account that I want plastic-free packaging as much as possible, like whenever applicable, for all future Amazon orders. 
That's all you have to do. And very simply, the guy said, yes, I can do that. The note is there. And since then, any packages that we have received have been completely plastic free. How cool is that? And here's an observation that I wanted to share with you because it does pertain to today's topic of discussing sustainable fashion. About a month ago, I actually had to stitch my bras back together because the glue came undone. Who knew that they glued bras together? I didn't even realize that. But between being wet, dry, hot, and cold, and four years of time, eventually the glue wore out. And so I had to stitch them back together. All of my bras went bad at the same time because I bought them all at the same time. It's really hard, guys, just so you know, when you go bra shopping to find the one bra that fits perfectly. So when I do find the one bra that fits perfectly, I buy it in every color. (laughs) And that's how I shop. (laughs) But I thought it was very interesting because I do have some bras still from high school and college that I got off the clearance racks. But because that was an easy 15 years ago, they were not glued at that time. They were stitched which is what they're supposed to be, in my opinion. And they were on the clearance rack at that time. And this glued bra was my really nice bra, like $40, $50 each. That is what fast fashion is. It is tricky because I'm thinking that I spent this extra money on this nice bra. It should last longer. But all I'm doing is paying for the name of the brand name of that bra. And the cheaper bras, cheaper in price bras, were actually better quality because they were made back before fast fashion was such a high freaking market. Anyways, so I still have, (laughs) I am still wearing my hand-stitched bras. (laughs) If anybody knows of any sustainable bra companies, please share them along because I'm looking. I have one more thing to share with you. I wanted to share what Sustainer Nation has been up to this past week. And I asked them to share any of their favorite sustainable eco-related books. And I've created and have assembled a very awesome Sustainer Nation book list. So here is your reading list for the rest of the year or whenever you have time. The first one is Eco Bible by Rabbi Yonatan Nero. What if we could solve the climate crisis? And that's by Tom Bowman, which by the way, I interviewed him over this book and that is going to be episode 69 coming out on March 8th. The third book is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. That's spelled K-I-M-M-E-R-E-R, Kimmerer. The next one is The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. Yes, I've read that. And then my sister read it and she gave me the book back. Simply Living Well, A Guide to Creating a Natural Low-Waste Home by Julia Watkins. I have not read that one, so that has definitely been added to my list. Plastic Free, How I Kicked the Plastic Habit and How You Can Too by Beth Terry. The Story of Stuff by Annie Leonard. One of my favorite quotes came from this book. There is no such thing as a way. When we throw anything away, it must go somewhere. When I read that quote, that was one of the first times where I really thought about what happens to my trash and made me want to produce less trash. So thank you, Annie Leonard. You're the one that helped get me on this path to sustainability. Another book is Cradle to Cradle, Remembering the Way We Make Things, and that is by Michael Braungart, B-R-A-U-N-G-A-R-T, Braungart. And the last book by friend of the podcast, Michael Nazarian, is A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life. And now it is time. We shall listen in to the interview with Shannon Lohr of Factory 45 
and hear her story about starting a sustainable fashion brand. As the founder and CEO of Factory 45, Shannon Lore works with Idea Stage entrepreneurs to launch fashion brands that are sustainably and ethically made. Shannon got her start in 2010 when she co-founded Revolution Apparel, a sustainable clothing company for female travelers and minimalists that was featured in the New York Times, Forbes.com, and Yahoo News. To date, Shannon has worked with over 200 entrepreneurs in the sustainable fashion space, many of whom have gone on to launch some of the most transparent supply chains in the fashion industry. Shannon has worked closely with startup apparel companies from all over the world to create ethically made products with a focus on environmentally friendly materials. Shannon is a strong advocate for increasing supply chain transparency through sourcing, localization, and storytelling. She's been named a thought leader for the future of fashion by Triple Pundit, and she writes frequently about conscious consumerism and the intersection of fashion and environmentalism. Hello, Shannon, and welcome. Thank you, Kaylin, for having me. I'm glad that you're on for an interview. There are so many people out there who love fashion and dream of becoming designers, and shows like Project Runway and America's Next Top Model definitely feed into that dream, but then they hear about how terrible the fast fashion industry is for the environment and get a little heartbroken. I'd like for you to restore some of their dreams and let everyone know that you can still be a fashionista, but to do it in the right way. Can you explain why people should care about sustainable and ethical fashion? Yeah, so it's a big question. Um, I think that when you think about sustainability and ethics and all of the sort of environmental um, language around fashion in particular, you can go back to the organic food movement or the clean beauty movement. And those were both sort of precursors to the sustainable fashion movement. So we saw people caring about the food we eat and that, you know, we didn't want chemicals and pesticides on our fruits and vegetables. And we started caring about GMOs and, you know, the things we were putting in our bodies. Then we looked at clean beauty and we didn't want to put chemicals and toxins on our skin or use it in our makeup. And so now I think that consumers are starting to wake up to sustainable fashion in terms of how the clothes are made that we wear, um, what the fabric is made from, where the people who are making our clothes are working, what conditions they're in, what they're being paid, all of those things. And so um, it's sort of this gradual, a bit of a snowball effect. And um, that's where we are. And that's sort of what I look at in what I do every day. And part of that is fast fashion, which I know a little bit about. Can you elaborate on that and help explain it for the listeners? Yes. So fast fashion is a business model of planned obsolescence. And that means brands like H&M and Forever 21 and Zara come out with new trends or new seasons every single week. So we now say that fast fashion perpetuates 52 seasons a year. And the idea is to make the consumer feel out of trend or off style every single week so that she'll want to buy more clothing. And the clothing is so cheap, she doesn't care about buying new clothing every week. In fact, she loves it. It's great that it's so cheap because she can have as much as she wants, but all of that clothing has to end up somewhere and it ends up in landfills. 
And because our clothing is now made mainly from polyester, that is synthetic fabric that takes 200 years to decompose in a landfill. So you're talking about pounds and pounds of synthetic petroleum-based plastic fabric sitting in landfills for decades. Wow. That's kind of hard to wrap your brain around, but you're, you're right. I think a lot of us grew up with clothing that was, or at least I did, where we grew up with clothing that was, you know, jeans were hundred percent cotton and t-shirts were hundred percent cotton, but now you've got the stretchy jeans that fit well, but that's because they're not hundred percent cotton anymore. It's hard to find, at least from my point of view, mm-hmm. it's hard to find those items because fast fashion will hide those items or those are not the items that they're going for because they're not cheaply made. They're low quality. They're quick to be replaced with the 52 seasons, which by the way, I kind of laughed a little bit. I'm like, man, I always thought they were just four seasons, but I guess you're right. There are 52 seasons now. I'm out of it. <laughs> I'm yeah, out for the times. <laughs> our grandmothers had two seasons. It was like you dressed for the warm weather and you dressed for the cold weather and that was it. You know, it's yeah, it's crazy. So all the information that you shared, it's very heartbreaking. And I'm really glad to hear that you created a sustainable fashion company called Revolution Apparel. Did you find it to be more challenging to create that model of a company versus creating a standard fast fashion company? It's a mixed bag with this answer because we wouldn't have just gone into it like immediately creating a fast fashion company because we just wouldn't have started with that volume and that amount of capital. You know, the H&Ms and Zars of the world are like billion dollar companies or, you know, multiple, multiple millions. So I think it's more a question of, is it harder to start a sustainable fashion company than it is just a traditional fashion, you know, business where you can use any type of fabric and manufacture anywhere. And the answer is yes, absolutely. It took us, um, my then co-founder and I, over a year to even set up a supply chain. So that means it took us a year to find sustainable fabric. It took us a year to find a manufacturer in the U.S. who was willing to work with us and we knew was paying their workers a fair and living wage. So Absolutely. It takes more, especially back then, this was 2010, doors were shut to anyone who really was starting off in the industry, was a newbie, quote unquote newbie, and really didn't know what they were doing, didn't have the insider access. And now, thankfully, because of, you know, different programs and mentors and consultants and word of mouth, the the industry has opened up quite a bit. Um, in terms of being able to manufacture domestically in the U.S., but it's still, you know, there's so much that goes into making sure that you are a sustainable clothing company and not greenwashing. Everything from packaging to fabric to labor to end life to shipping, all of that. It definitely takes more thought, yes. (laughs) It sounds like it for sure. I think even just starting up a regular fashion company would be very overwhelming, but to do it the sustainable way you've explained that is a lot more challenging. And I commend you for taking the steps to do that because you care about the environment. Yes. Thank you. Like that's a really good point that you just brought up. It's hard enough creating a fashion company. So I also say I commend any of the brands out there who are focusing on sustainability and ethics because it just it does add a whole other dimension to the the whole startup phase. Your fashion brand is still going, correct? No. So in 2013, I sold it to my business partner and now I run a company called Factory 45. 
Okay. And so the Factory 45, that's a consulting company. Yes. So from starting the fashion brand um, Revolution Apparel, I realized after that year of just hitting, you know, dead end after dead end and just feeling like I was really like banging my head up against a wall. Nobody would help us. Nobody would talk to us. And I realized this should be easier. Like it should not be this hard for entrepreneurs with good intentions and well-meaning to start a company in a way that doesn't harm the people or planet and actually, you know, tries to, to, to improve the fashion industry. And so that's what I moved into. I realized, you know, I had all these new skills and these connections that I didn't have, you know, being a journalism major in college, I didn't even have a fashion background. So I decided I was going to start a company that would help open some of these doors and make it easier for new entrepreneurs to start clothing companies sustainably and ethically. Wait a minute, you didn't even have a fashion background, but you started a fashion company. What made you (laughs) go that route? So it's kind of a long story, but after I graduated from college, I like I said, had a journalism major and I decided I wasn't going to get a real job yet. I went and I sort of, I bartended my way around the world is really how I say it. Um, And I spent two years traveling and just, you know, exploring and discovering kind of what, who I was and what I wanted to do as cliche as it sounds. And in that time, I met an American girl who was also in Australia and we ended up starting the clothing company together after getting back to the States. And she was a business major, not a fashion major either. So we sort of haphazardly pieced together this brand that ended up having more success than we could have ever imagined, um, but very much fell into it backwards. And that's why you created traveling apparel and for the minimalism, because you traveled to Yes, That makes sense now. <laughs> Yes, exactly. (laughs) I was like, that's a very specific fashion brand. That's what I was thinking when I heard that. (laughs) Yes, it is. And, you know, it's funny because I don't think we planned it to be that specific. But in the end, now I tell my entrepreneurs, be niche, like create a niche clothing company, because that is really like part of what we could contribute to or attribute to our success was being very specific. Yeah, because when you're traveling, you're doing a lot of adventurous things, or at least that's what I would do if I was able to travel. So during when I was going to college, I was really big into the outdoor stuff. I'd go rock climbing and backpacking, caving, kayaking, and it was very hard to find women's clothing that was flexible enough to let you rock climb and do all of that stuff. And that had pockets so you could actually keep a pocket knife and a compass and the other (laughs) things that you needed. Otherwise, you're pretty much stuck carrying a backpack for every little thing, which is really annoying. And then I'm sitting here and my friends, my male friends have these cargo shorts that can just hold everything. Like, what the heck? Why does my clothing, why is it so hard to find pockets even on traveling clothes? (laughs) Did yours have pockets? (laughs) It did have pockets. It had pockets, yeah. That's funny. No, it is so true. And I think part of it is also just like, you want to be able, you know, especially when you're young, and it's just you and your solo backpacking or traveling, you want to just be able to like have one bag, throw your stuff in the bag and not be loaded down with all this luggage. And so that was our goal was to create, um, 
we ended up creating a, a piece that could be worn 30 different ways. And so the idea was that you really could minimize your traveling wardrobe because you would have this very versatile piece to wear with everything. What's that piece called? It's called the Versalette. Ah, so if I Google search the Versalette, I'd be able to find it? Yeah, you should be able to even all these years later. Yeah. Awesome. I just want to see what it looks like. Sorry, listeners, you're also going to have to Google it yourself because this is just (laughs) audio. (laughs) No video on this. If we do have a listener out there right now whose dreams are to start a fashion brand or even just simply have an idea for a sustainable apparel product, what is your best advice for them? There's two parts here. The first is just to get started. Start before you're ready. That is the number one thing. I find, you know, now that I've worked with so many entrepreneurs, the thing that hangs people up is themselves. They get in their own way, whether that's due to fear or procrastination or excuses or like it's, I mean, it all comes back to fear, right? We're afraid of failing, afraid of what people will think, um, afraid of not being able to move forward or do it right or what we envisioned, all those things. So I would say, you know, work on the mental game. There's such a mental game with entrepreneurship of psyching yourself up and knowing that there are going to be obstacles that come up, but being prepared. Like if you know a problem is going to arise, you're more ready to face it and to tackle it. And so if you can work on the mental game of entrepreneurship, you're going to be so much farther ahead and in a better place than 99% of other people. Um, And then the second piece of that is a bit more tactical and it's to start building an audience now. One thing I always say that people are probably sick of hearing by this point, but is you can't launch to crickets. You have to build an audience before you're ready to launch. I think there is this misconception that you work on your product development, you have this beautiful brand, and then you just press the launch button or you you go live with your website and you're ready to sell and nobody's there to buy. And so that is the biggest thing from a marketing standpoint is you have to be building your audience months, oftentimes years before you're ready to sell anything. That is excellent advice. I mean, I didn't build a fashion brand, but I did start a podcast and I just dove right in and made it and put it up. Yeah. And then nobody listened. Yeah. And <laughs> I think it had been almost three weeks and I was like, woo, I have seven downloads. All right. It takes a while for it to build up. So I think you're onto something, build it up before you even have the product because it was hard to get over that. It was hard to get past that, I should say. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's all, but it's also a testament to you starting before you're ready. You know, you started and you didn't know if you were going to have any listeners, but you put podcast episodes up anyway. And that's part of it too, is just putting in the work with with no gratification or, or positive reinforcement to start. And, you know, the people who stick with it and keep going, if you are to, you know, have this podcast in two years versus, you know, however long you're at now, two more years, then you're going to have, you know, more listeners and have more traction. And that's, that's so much of this, this game. Earlier, you're talking about your piece that you created that you could wear 30 different ways. So I've heard of capsule wardrobes. I'm assuming that you're familiar with them as well. 
and I've only read about them. I haven't really built one myself. It kind of sounds intimidating. Do you have advice on how to best build a capsule wardrobe? Yes. Capsule wardrobes are awesome. Um, and they, I've had quite a few entrepreneurs come through the factory 45 program and build capsule wardrobes, you know, as their, as the products, as their brand. Um, one of the most well-known ones is VETA. So you can look that one up. It's V-E-T-T-A. Um, Cara launched, I think in 2015 or 2016, and, um, she's, you know, done very well and how she launches a new capsule wardrobe, I think like four to six times a year. And it's five pieces that make up a month's worth of outfits. So that is what, wow. a wardrobe. yeah, yeah. It's really cool. Um, but then you can also, so that's one way to do it. You can just find a brand who's creating capsule wardrobes and just buy the five pieces and have that as your capsule wardrobe. And then the other way to do it is to mix and match. So um, you would come up with a color palette. Let's say it's white, black, and chambray. That was my first ever um, capsule wardrobe that I created. And I just- What is chambray? uh, Like a denim, kind of like a light denim, light blue color. Oh, okay. So like a, Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no, that's okay. Like a, yeah. Chambray or denim shirt. So basically I would just, that was my thing is like, if I was shopping, you know, whether it was in a thrift store or shopping online, I would only, I was limiting myself to just black, white and chambray. And so my whole wardrobe, um, fit together and mixed and matched to create, you know, endless amounts of looks because everything worked together in one color palette. You're talking about different brands that you've worked with that launched capsule wardrobes with five pieces. Like the one or two articles that I read mentioned 30 pieces. And I thought that was going to be tough, but you can do it with as little as five pieces. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it depends right? It's like, now you could do it. Like we're in the middle of a pandemic. Nobody even leaves their house. Like it'd be easy to do it with five pieces, but no, I would say, so I have another friend, um, Courtney Carver. She runs project three, 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 and she creates, I've heard of that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. She has a few books and a blog, but she, she's not a brand. She is an author and she encourages this concept of wearing 33 garments of clothing for three months. So it's like every three months you basically change for the seasons, but you only wear those 33 garments. And um, yeah, so that's like, I would say for people who are like, oh my gosh, I could never do that with five. Start with, start with project 333. I think that's a really good way to get into it if you are interested. I'm pretty sure that's where I got the 30 item limit from, I think it's from that project, but that, I mean, I heard about that mm, probably a year and a half ago. So it's been a while. So thank you very much for refreshing my memory on that. Yeah. I do know when it comes to fashion in general, it does get overwhelming for people to go out and shop. So I appreciate you breaking down how to do a capsule wardrobe, what to look for. But another thing for people to be concerned about would be the materials, for example, stretchy materials like LuLaRoe, they became a real big hit because it was so easy for people of all different shapes and sizes to fit into that fashion line. And I got a whole bunch because I could wear them. And then when I was pregnant, I could still wear them. And then after I had the baby, I could still wear the same ones. But I do know that those are all 
synthetic materials, it's a form of plastic, they're not so good. Do you have any recommendations for fashion brands or materials that would be similar to help replace the stretchy items like LuLaRoe has to offer? Yes, I totally get what you're saying. And um, three brands that I think adapt to not only body changes, but also body positivity. Like they're, they're really good about promoting body positivity. So three of them are Sotella, who is a factory 45er has come through my program. Poppy Row also has come through my program. And then Boob, B-O-O-B. They are a maternity brand um, out of Europe. And that's what I wore through all of my pregnancy, postpartum, breastfeeding, like it's all breastfeeding adaptable. So um, just to go back, Sotella, that's all like basically her branding is about um, women's ever-changing bodies. All of the garments are created to make sure like when you're three months pregnant and you're just, you're feeling bloated and you want, you know, just to be in something comfortable, her, her garments work for that. And when you're, you know, not pregnant, it works for that. So they kind of change with your, with your body. And then um, Poppy Row is the one that is sizes two to 28. So size inclusive. Um, And again, promotes body positivity and then the third one, as I said, was boob. And that is um, both maternity and nursing. Wonderful. That's good. That gives me brands to look for the next time that I need to go buy a new item. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So when people are out shopping, whether it's new or secondhand, there's a confusion when it comes to the fibers. So there's natural fibers like cotton, but that has negative aspects because it uses a lot of water and pesticides. You also have silk, wool, and leather, but those are all animal products and therefore they're part of the factory farming process. And then your other alternatives would be the synthetics, but those come from plastics and they're difficult to repair. They're found in the fast fashion. Oh, and also when you wash them, they release all the microplastics into the waterways. It feels like there's not a great option. Can you help clarify this very muddy mess of decision-making and tell us what exactly to look for in sustainable clothing? I definitely feel like if you can stay away from synthetics, that is the first thing. And two of my favorite natural fibers um, are Tencel, which is made from eucalyptus trees and is a renewable resource in a closed loop manufacturing process, meaning that any chemicals that are used to process the fabric are then reused um, in the next cycle of processing fabric. Um, Organic cotton uses less water than conventional cotton and does not require the use of pesticides and insecticides. And anytime you're talking about natural fibers, they can decompose in the landfill. So they they can break down naturally in the landfill and not, you know, contribute to the massive landfill overflow that we're dealing with. Um, The thing about that is that they can't be mixed with a synthetic like spandex or nylon or rayon or anything. But honestly, you know, when you're looking at sustainability, the most sustainable option other than shopping from your own wardrobe, like just using clothing or doing a clothing swap with a friend is to shop secondhand. I'll just speak from personal experience. My wardrobe is made up now, probably I would say of 
50% thrifted secondhand clothing and 50% sustainable clothing. And so I think that's the important thing to remember is oftentimes sustainable fashion is more expensive than definitely than fast fashion, but even some conventional fashion. And so not to try to like beat yourself up and say that you have to be a 100% sustainable fashion wardrobe, that it's okay to go shop secondhand, go to thrift stores, because that is just as impactful, maybe even more impactful in a positive way um, to keeping clothing out of landfills. That is wonderful. Let me recap. So if we ranked it like an order of most environmentally friendly to still making a good effort and making a difference. That would be keeping the clothing that you currently have and keeping it as long as possible. And when you can't wear it anymore, then you can swap it with friends or donate it, repurpose it. And then if you do need to get new clothing, we're going to go secondhand if able to. But there are some items that you can't always find secondhand or that you just don't want secondhand like socks and underwear and bras. I don't, I don't feel comfortable getting those secondhand. So sometimes you do have to buy brand new and that's when you have to look for the sustainable brands. Do you agree with that order of ranking? Yes. Yeah. And I think when you're talking about fabrics, um, those can also be ranked like, and it's, but it's hard, you know, there are pros and cons. And I say this in my my program to my entrepreneurs, there's no such thing as perfectly sustainable when it comes to making something new. Anytime you make something new, it has an impact and there are pros and cons to every quote unquote sustainable fabric. So um, again, like if you care about reducing your water use or reducing pesticide and insecticide use, then maybe you buy your underwear, organic cotton underwear. There's two brands, Nikki, it's K-N, I-C-K-E-Y, um, and Pact Apparel. They both offer organic cotton underwear and uh, Pact also has socks. Um, you know, Tencel, if you're worried about chemicals being used once and then discarded into the water, then maybe Tencel is a good fabric for you to look for because it is used in a closed loop cycle. Merino wool, you know, it's uh, not factory farmed, the sheep are actually farmed in a sustainable way, um, but like free range and it's all ethical farming practices. So just that's just to give you an idea of like little ways that you can start to research, start, start to think about the things you care about and how your own wardrobe can reflect that. That is excellent advice. You have so much to offer. And unfortunately, we don't have enough time to keep covering everything. But if listeners want more information, where can they go? Well, you can go to my website. You can go to factory45.co. If you are an entrepreneur or aspiring aspiring entrepreneur who wants to start a sustainable clothing brand, you can find out more about my program. Um, It opens only once a year and it will open in May, 2021. I'm also on Instagram at factory45co. Awesome. I'm excited about your program. Hopefully you get a bunch of participants in that. Yeah, we've, we're growing every year. 2020 was the best year ever. And we've I've been running this program since 2014. So it's been really fun to see the brands that continue to launch out of the program. And your program's all online. Anybody can do it from home? Yep. Anyone anywhere in the world who has an internet connection. 
Wonderful. We do have just a smidgen of time left. And at the tail end of my interviews, I love to play a quick little game. Would you be willing to participate in that? Sure. Okay. So I named this game Super Style and Sweep. And what it is, is I'm going to read you a description of a TV show. And you have to tell me what you think the name of the TV show is. Is it a real TV show or a fake one? These are real TV shows. <laughs> They're very popular TV shows. So you, you've got a pretty good chance. Okay. <laughs> They're, I'll give you a hint. They're all fashion style related. Oh gosh. I probably am going to not be good at this, but let's try it. <laughs> the first one is this show originated in Britain, 2001, and then an American version launched in 2003. Participants were nominated by friends, coworkers, or relatives for a makeover. They would be secretly filmed and their wardrobes would be critiqued. They would then receive a $5,000 gift card to get a whole new wardrobe, but they had to turn in their entire existing wardrobe and shop by the host's rules. Do you have a clue? No idea. It's not the one with like Stacy. Yes, the the so in America the hosts were Stacy London and Clinton Kelly. Yeah, yeah, Stacy and Clinton. What was the name of that? Well, that's what you're supposed to figure out. I have no idea. (laughs) It's because you're under pressure right now. No, I really don't think I could remember back this. This is what happens when you, well, you've had a baby too and you don't have baby brain, but this, I don't remember. What is it? What not to wear. What not to wear. I was going to say who, what, where, but that's a website. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll go for number two now. In 2003, the show was launched and it's an American reality television series, an interactive competition in which a number of aspiring models compete for a chance. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Got one. Okay. Fantastic. All right. The next one, this American television series searches for the next drag superstar. Contestants are given different challenges each week and the judges critique their progress. The same person is the host, mentor, and head judge. Oh, I know this. Is it, it it's not RuPaul's show, is it? Yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Um, oh, it's called. I don't want to say something wrong either. What is it? <laughs> Dra- so drag is your big keyword there. Um, RuPaul's. RuPaul's drag show? I'll give it to you. RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, dr- oh, that's clever. I like that. <laughs> All right. The last one. The show launched in 2004. It's an American reality television series that focuses on fashion design. The contestants compete with each other to create the best clothes and are restricted. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> restricted by time, materials, and theme. Heidi Klum. And Tim Gunn star in this show. Fantastic. Hey, just that first one because you were nervous. But after that, you nailed it. (laughs) Kind of. But thank you. You're nice. (laughs) (laughs) You did wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule and meeting with us and telling us all about the fashion world, fashion brands, developing them, what's sustainable and ethical and all of that stuff. Because it's I'm not a strong fashion person myself. I've had listeners of the podcast give feedback that they wanted me to cover more fashion. And I was just like, 
I'm doing the best that I can, but this is not my world. <laughs> so I really appreciate you coming in. It's an overwhelming world. So do not feel bad, but I'm glad that I was able to shed a little bit of light. That was really fun. And thank you for having me, Keelan. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much again. Thanks. <laughs> Have a good rest of your day. Okay. Thanks. You too. Thank you again, Shannon, for such a wonderful interview. Remember, you can go to her website, factory45.co, and you can sign up to be a part of the waiting list. And then on May 5th, when applications open, you'll get a notification and you can go in and sign up. And the program launches the first week of June. Oh my gosh, next week will be the first week of March. Spring is coming and it's coming soon. Woohoo! It's time to start planning out your garden. If you're terrible at gardening like me, be sure to listen to next week's episode because we have a special guest, Tisa Watts from Columbus Gardening School, and she's going to help you get started on the right path. Thank you again, Sustainer Nation, for tuning in this week and listening to all my adventures. Please continue to stay sustainable, and I will talk to you all again next week. Bye.